this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, Brother Man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashano, joined, as always, by the Long Island Iced Bee himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Well, Dan, you know, uh, one of my favorite songs back in the 80s was the uh, the White Snake song, Here I Go Again. So here I go again, but unfortunately, it's to report yet another death of a great professional wrestler. And this one really hit close to home. Uh, Mike Mantar Halleck passed away last Tuesday at the age of 55. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Mike a few months ago, and I, I was honored. We, we kind of struck up a friendship in the last few months, and ironically, he was going to be on our show uh, next Tuesday. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike hosted Mantar Memoirs on the Monty and the Pharaoh YouTube channel, just like we are now. And, you know, you hear the term gentle giant quite frequently, but it was never more fitting than it was for Mike Halleck. And Mike may be gone, but he'll never be forgotten. Absolutely. And we're going to do a uh, special show next week, kind of honor him and and the legacy that he had, as well as the legacy of gimmicks. The fact that, you know, everybody wants to talk about Mantar, the gimmick. But here we are 30 years later and we still remember him fondly. So he definitely made it work. But that's next week, Benny. Tonight, it's ladies night again on the show. Why don't you tell everybody who we got on the phone with us? Well, you know, Dan, we've had several women wrestlers on our as as our guests. And without exception, each one of them knocked it out of the park. Is my ballpark reference. And I'm going to bet my very hefty, my my lucrative Dan and Benny paycheck that this next guest will be no exception. And she's a, a five-time holder of the NWA uh, World Tag Team Championship, Women's Tag Team Championship. And ironically, the very first woman I ever saw wrestle when I first started watching in 1968 when I was negative 29 – um, so at this point, I'd like to introduce the delightful Tony Rose. Tony, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Now, we appreciate having you. We, we've had a lot of, uh, like Benny said, we, we've had a lot of female wrestling guests, and they've all, obviously, for the time, they've all come from the same kind of uh, cloth, as it were, and, and areas, and we're going to get to that. But I want to start with, it's the same question we start with everybody, and it's unique, and, and I've noticed and Benny will agree with me on this one. Uh, our female guests seem to have the best kind of answers to this question. And it's, it's where it started. Uh, where did you start? Like, do you remember when the wrestling bug bit you and you became a fan of professional wrestling? Yes. I was going to the matches with my uncle in Terre Haute, Indiana. We used to go every, I think it was every two weeks they had them there. And I loved it. And I finally, I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. So that's what happened. I've watched Penny Banner, June Byers, uh, Mildred Burke. There was a lot of them back then, very good workers. Lorraine Johnson, Penny Banner. And um, I always, always enjoyed it. And I thought, well, I can do it too. So they had a pretty involved female card back then? Oh, yes. Uh huh. They had a female matches 
probably every other time or something like that. And, uh, yeah. And Penny Banner was living, I think, in Indianapolis at the time. And uh, she was always around. And she was a great worker. How old were you then, Tony, when you went to your first show? Oh, my gosh. I don't remember. But I was probably about 10, 11. Okay. Now, was that uh, uh, Dick the Bruiser territory? Or? Yes, yes, yes. The WWA, right? Right. That was Dick okay. the Bruiser. Okay. Now, like, so the minute you saw it, you thought, like, I'm going to do that? I don't think of the minute I saw it. But <laughs> after a few times, I, I did. Uh, the minute I saw it, I was, I don't know what I thought then. But I, after watching it a few times, and then I started watching it on TV from Indianapolis. And uh, I thought, well, if they can do it, I can. What what did you think though when you went to the arena and like you saw like you, I don't know where you sat like were you, did you, were you close to when they they walked by you what did you think about these these wrestlers Oh I thought it was fantastic I I don't know they were just like gods to me you know when I was a kid they, especially Penny and uh, they put on some very good matches I really enjoyed them Well you talk about being a kid in indianapolis watching and then you kind of decide you're going to get into wrestling you were about 18 at the time if i'm correct when you ended up in south carolina much like most of the women we've had on uh you trained under fabulous moolah how did you end up how did you find yourself in south carolina training at moolah's compound well i was 17 years old instead of 18 but i had bought all the wrestling magazines and I had read in the ma- magazines that Moolah was training girls. So somehow I got her ad- the address. At the time, it was Buddy Lee Enterprises. That's when Moolah was married to Buddy, and they were doing the training. And uh, I got her address, wrote them a letter, was accepted, and came on down after I graduated from high school. It was just, like, just like that? That was just like fantastic. that. They did. They did advertise it in the mat. Was which uh, which magazine? Just out of curiosity, do you remember? There was a wrestling magazine that Bob Luce did out of Indianapolis, I think, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, one of the local ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. You, you know, it's funny. Of all the the trips down there, that that seems to be the most straightforward. No special letter from the governor or anything like that. Just. I'm going to do this, pack up your bags, and, and head down there. Right. Uh, talk, That's it. That's talk about it. taking the world by the horns. That's right. Tex Green needed a letter from John Connolly, wasn't it? That she, it was okay yeah. to go to wrestling camp. Oh, I didn't know anything about that. I, I, oh, just, yeah. I just came on down. I was 17 <laughs> at the time, and my mother brought me down. And she left and went back to Indiana, of course. All right. Interesting. So... Tony Mula obviously is a very polarizing figure, and uh, oh, yeah. we've had we've had uh, Desiree and well, actually it was uh, Tex Green and Vicky Otis were quite harsh in their uh, their recollections of her. You know, uh, Tex Green was a, a tad nicer than uh, than Vicky was, although uh, Tex did seem to enjoy the fact that that one time I guess Mula started started to shoot on her, and she actually made a. Uh, she made Mula tap out, and they never recognized the title change. But she did wind up keeping the title, the, the belt, for several months. I think Vince Senior, she said, actually had to pay pay her to uh, to return it. 
So yes, Susan's well, a friend of mine. I talk to her quite frequently, and yes, I've heard she's told me the same thing. So I, I was wrestling at the time, and they kept that thing a secret. I can tell you, because so, I never heard about it until recently. What uh, I mean, growing, you were seventeen. Now you're mm-hmm. staying at the compound with Mula, and was it? Uh, was it uh, no, Dan or Lil? Which which I, I know one of the women, the smaller women wrestlers, lived on the compound as well. Well, I I did not. She did not have the compound as such when I first started. All right, she lived about sixty two, sixty three ish. This was sixty three. It was okay. it was the summer right. sixty three, and uh, she, she rented the house next door to her, and that's where the girls stayed. Okay, and so the, the then I moved later out on. and got my own place not far from there, a few blocks. And okay. uh, then she, of course, ended up buying Moolah Manor, as we called it back then. <laughs> and I never moved to Moolah Manor. I went over there and trained, but I uh, worked out with the other girls, but I never uh, actually lived there. So what was your daily schedule then? Well, we would uh, get up in the morning, go out, work out come back in, eat something, rest a while, and go back in the afternoon and work out some more, and that was it for the day. We yeah. work out We work out two to three times a day. Okay. So the, All right. So it was kind of a full-time thing then, right? Oh, yeah, it was, yes. Now, um, I believe it was both uh, uh, Vicky and Desiree both said that Moolah was not very hands-on at all, but that was a little bit later on. Because right. they're a little bit, little bit younger than you are. Was I would think at that point in the, the early '60s, Mula would have been a little bit more hands-on. She was. She was more hands-on at the time. She had come out and work with us. Fran Gravette would work out with us. Betty Boucher, Sweet Georgia Brown, and uh, Mula was there. Yeah, it's so, kind of funny. You're, you're you're naming names that you wound up actually wrestling during your career, correct? Right. Okay. Yes. Speaking of your career, we we use several web websites for research for the show: CageMatch.net, Wrestling Data. Uh, wrestling Data shows your first recorded match, October 1963, against Mula. Was that is that correct, or did you have anything else before that? That's not correct. I wrestled, my first match was in the summer, and I don't remember exactly because I, summer of 63, and it was in Macon, Georgia against Bambi Ball. I was booked down there for three weeks, including my first match, first three weeks I wrestled, and um, I worked with Bambi for three weeks down there, and I got beat up every day, every (laughs) single day. I I heard actually, on Wikipedia, you got knocked out. I don't know. I don't remember getting knocked out, but I know I got beat up every day (laughs) for three weeks. Well, let me ask you something. You you talked about going to the matches in Indianapolis. We've talked on the show before about the the territory. Now you're on the other side. What's the crowd difference between Indianapolis and Macon, Georgia? Uh, Macon was smaller. Macon was quite a bit smaller than the shows in Indianapolis at the time. But 
I was new in my first match, so first three weeks of matches, so it was probably a good thing that they were smaller. But Indianapolis drew quite a crowd. With but the I, I, I dogs are fans of yours, Tony. So that's, <laughs> oh, that's okay, why. good, good. Yeah, they're they're, they're big big Tony Rose fans. So, um, <laughs> in in any discussion of of '60s wrestling, the, the name Moolah is gonna oh, it's gonna come up all the time because she was you know the, at the heart of women's wrestling in the '60s. But and we've talked about this with our other guests, but I think it's worth discussing again. I looked at your your you know whatever matches that that you had. Um, on uh, the WrestlingData.com website and the Cage Match website, they 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 list the matches by month, by year, and uh-huh. you literally traveled all over the country. You wrestled in, in all the major promotions, but it wasn't like like the typical territory wrestler. If Johnny Valentine went up in, in Texas with Fritz von Erich, he was staying there for you know six months, nine months, a year, depending on how it worked out. You know, just like any other wrestlers. But with with the women, it seemed like you're only staying there a couple of weeks at a time. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, and unlike the, you know, it was almost like you were booked as an attraction. And we were. We were. Yeah. Now, so was that, I guess, two-part question. Was that Moolah's idea or was that how the promoters wanted it? And number two, um, what kind of, I mean, that had to be like a, a grueling schedule. Oh, from it, a was. Travel it was. We traveled over 100,000 miles a year. Put a lot of we were in the United far. States. So, so is that something Moolah designed, or was that something the promoters actually wanted? I think that's what the promoters actually wanted. What we would do, we would go, she would book us on a tour, and we would maybe go from here to Atlanta and stay a, week, a couple weeks. Then we'd move from Atlanta to maybe Alabama for a couple weeks, and then on to uh, Oklahoma, possibly, and then to Texas, and then on up to California, maybe, and go up to uh, West Coast, and uh, then travel across Canada, and then maybe back down the middle of the of the country. Uh, we would be gone sometimes for six months at a time, but we would only stay in one territory for a couple of weeks. Now, I have to think, so you're probably like by then, you're 20, 21, 22. I would have somebody that age to be traveling all over the country like that, wrestling in front of crowds, getting paid. I mean, that had to be a huge rush for you. Yes, it was. It was very exciting for a young person. It was very exciting. And we wrestled in some of the biggest places like Madison. Well, eventually we wrestled in Madison Square Garden. We wrestled in the Cow Palace. A lot, oh, and, okay. in, and in Washington D.C., as you said, and uh, we wrestled all over, through Florida, Texas, everywhere. You had to there be put, was, like you said, you put a, about a hundred thousand miles a year, and that was that was not air travel, right? That was in a car. Oh, right, right. That was, most of that was in a car. So I have sometimes to sometimes we flew, but most of the time we drove. I, uh, last week we had Mike Mooneyham, who's a wrestler, oh, yeah. and and he mentioned that well, he was on a show with Ric Flair, and Ric Flair said that the greatest wrestling school of all time was the backseat of a car with three other wrestlers driving, you know, 600 miles to their next show, and <laughs> you know, especially if you had some, you know, older, uh, experienced wrestlers, 
in that six hour, six hundred miles, you're gonna learn a ton of stuff. Did that oh, happen yes. to you? Yes, it did many times, many many times. Yes, we traveled a lot of times with the boys sometimes, and you learn a lot with them, of course. And they always like play tricks and jokes and that kind of stuff. Oh, but, really? Yeah. So who was a big river back then? Johnny Valentine. <laughs> I hear him say that. I, he, he had quite the reputation. You know, he did to me. We rest, I was wrestling in Indianapolis. And they advertised me as a hometown girl and all of this. And I was being the good girl, you know. And when I tried to leave the arena, I couldn't lift my suitcase. It was so heavy, I couldn't lift it. And I found out later, Johnny Valentine had filled it full of weights. <laughs> I think you were going to tell me he glued it to the, to the bench or something like that. Oh, no, he said he filled it full of weights. Oh, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I could shot him. Oh. But he was always doing things like that. Please tell me he was a nice guy because I, 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 you know, I mean, I started watching in 1968. He was in his peak back then, and I think by then he was a heel. So, I, I think mean, he was. And yeah, and my, you know, but my knowledge of wrestling was only was from what I saw on uh, Capitol Wrestling from Washington D.C. on on uh, Saturday night, and then whatever I read in the magazines, and I, of course, like, you know, it was so real to me. I didn't like Johnny Valentine, but I've heard that he was the consummate professional. Yeah, he was a very good wrestler, and he was normally a very nice person. But but that night, I didn't appreciate him. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Appreciate it more now than you did back then, right? Right. Yes. (laughs) I sure did. uh, He was a nice guy, basically. Basically. Basically, basically. <laughs> eh. <laughs> you, you, so you're talking about all this travel. You've put hundred thousand miles a year, ran some rental cars down to the bare threads. It's been a huge. So you traveled all over, all kinds of promotion. It's been a huge bone of contention in the past. Benny mentioned what some of our previous Mula trainees have said: good, bad, or indifferent. But I want to ask it again. When you're traveling around, you're working for Moolah at this point, you're, you're being booked all over the country, were you being paid directly from the promoters or were your checks coming from the bank of Moolah, as they would say back then? And did you feel like you were being paid fairly or did you know somebody was skimming off the top? Well, both. We, uh, we wrestled. We got paid by the promoters a lot of times. We got paid after the matches. Sometimes if we were leaving that particular territory before the money was ready, then they would send it into Moolah. Uh, I have no proof that she skimmed off the top. She probably did. I wouldn't doubt it, but I have no proof of that. Uh, but the promoters paid us directly a lot of times. You know, it's really funny because, you know, and just for a little perspective, I mean, like I said, you're a little bit um, – you know, older than the the other guests, but uh, I think it was Sue uh, Tex Green said that every promoter paid Mula. The one exception was Bill Watts that paid the wrestler directly. So I guess maybe you know over time she changed the way she did business. But you know, so in your day, you actually for the most part, if if you were wrestling in the territory, you you got paid by the promoter. Then correct? a lot of times we did, yes. A lot of times we got paid by the promoter. 
He'd come in the dressing room and pay us after the matches lots of times, or most of the time. Again, sometimes like, now we would. Sometimes the promoters would send checks in. Right. Did, so did you notice a difference in the payoffs when you got it from Mula? Back then, I didn't know. I, I was going to say, like at that age, like you're, you know, you, you don't really think about money the way you do when you're a little bit older. You know, you're getting you're getting money, and you're thinking like, damn, I'm I'm making this money, and I'm a wrestler. Yep. People yeah. love me, and was it was it kind of like that for you? Yeah, but I, I think I would have noticed if there would have been a big change in the money. I right. I think if it had been a large amount, I would have probably noticed. Would you have said anything, or you still? Oh, uh... I would have said something if I'd have noticed it. Oh, really? Okay. Well, okay. let me ask you. One, did kind of a two-part question. Did you feel? I mean, y'all were paid very well, and what was the pay? Because you said uh, women were booked more of an attraction in rotation how did you how was your pay comparative to the male stars at the time well we always got paid less than the men we always did there was no exception to that rule the men would stay there and they would work programs and all that and we were just an attraction now vince mcmahon senior he paid very well Roy Shires in California paid very well but some of the, the smaller places of course I guess they just didn't have it but um, we made pretty good money back then. Not like they do today, but things are so different today. Oh. Well, Tony, in, go, go ahead, ahead, Benny. Well, I was going to say, I, I, Tony, I found one match. And, of course, again, this is you know what I found on the Internet, so you never know. But I found one match in 1965 where you wrestled as Rene Duran. I think it might have been against Moolah. Is there any significance to that name? None whatsoever. I don't even remember it, but I do know that they didn't always use our names. I mean, we were just, like you said, an attraction, and they put anything up there. Do you, yeah. I mean, do you, do you remember any other names besides that? Shirley or, West. Or I remember, when I first started, uh, they put had Shirley West. I don't know if there was actually a Shirley West or not. But, you were Shirley uh, West? Shirley West. Okay. And uh, but I don't remember uh, Renee Duran. I don't remember that, but I wouldn't doubt it at all because they would put different things on the posters, and maybe they didn't know who was coming in. Maybe they didn't care who was coming in. Maybe there was another Renee Duran that was in Osha. Could be I like think the, they got uh, Moolah's name right about all the time, but other than yeah, that, I don't yeah, think yeah, they really cared. So it could be. Uh, we we previously had Randy Hogan on for a special on underneath guys, and he's credited with matches in the wrestling databases that he uh-huh. never participated in. At some point, they just decided to combine two people, and he to this day he has no idea why they decided that he was also that other person. So who knows? <laughs> I maybe I don't doubt that at all. Maybe history blurs. I know uh, I have a lot of friends that wrestle, and especially some of them when they would uh, work the local, like the smaller local shows, they wouldn't know that they'd been booked under a different name until they heard the uh, the announcer say something like, "Oh, is that who I am today? Okay, let's that, let's do right. this." That's correct. That is <laughs> correct. You know, it's funny. Like, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a numbers guy. I've done. I've been a you know, degreed accountant. I did finance all my life and you know avid baseball card collector i mean i memorized the back of baseball cards and you know i mean all the major sports 
everything is chronicled to like, you know, you know exactly how many home runs Mickey Mantle hit or how many, you know, hits Ty Cobb got or whatever, you know. Um, but wrestling is that one where it's like you really even even though there's like some websites now, you know, they're not complete because like they'll I, I've looked up Bruno. They'll have Bruno wrestling 180 times a year and he probably wrestled double double that in number of he matches. Probably did. Yeah, so it's, it's not totally complete. So when we have you folks on, you know, it's, it's really nice that you can fill in that fill in the gaps there. Yes, that would be good. That would be very nice. But uh, the problem, they didn't care back then. Like I said, it was an attraction, and uh, they knew Moolah was going to be there. Or they might know who the other girl was and put her real name on there. Or they may have wrong names on both of them, and they didn't care. It uh, It was just a girls' match. Well, you know, you see a lot of like uh, I'm on a, I'm on about 150 at least wrestling pages on Facebook. <laughs> a lot of them will will they'll post like the posters, and I'll look at the, look at them and I'll think was anybody in charge of quality control because like they'll botch. I mean, they'll spell it. Larry Zabisco. I've seen his name spelled about 187 different ways. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. And but even the most the simplest ones like they they botch and it's like. Didn't they have proofreaders back then? I mean, it's not that long ago. I doubt it. I, I don't think they cared. I don't think as long as I got the poster out and the news that they were having the wrestling matches, I don't think it really mattered to them. Tony, real quick, too, like, and I've asked this question of many different wrestlers from back in the day. Um, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s, I I have to think that, you know, you, you're going from town to town. And I've said there was there was no PTO back then. You didn't get paid time off. You wrestled, you got paid. You didn't wrestle, you didn't get paid. Right. Uh, you, I, I'm sure that you, amongst everybody else, had to wrestle, hurt, sick, tired. Um, was, was that is that an accurate statement? Oh yes, very. In Australia, I wrestled blind. Just about, I could see shadows. Mm. Yes. Well, how did uh, that happen? Jessica Rogers, I was wrestling with her, and she accident—I think it was an accident. I don't know. She stuck her fingernail in my eye, okay. and uh, I went blind in that eye. And then it wasn't long before the other eye closed. I went—I did go to the hospital there, and I—I uh, I could see shadows. So they would send someone to the ring in front of me, dressed in white, and I would follow the figure in white to the oh. ring. So how, how long did that last for? <laughs> That lasted uh, about a week before it was oh, time. Oh, wow. Lit- about before it was time literally time. walk into the light, huh? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That, that would scare the crap out of me. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't know if it, did you did you know it was going to go away? I mean. Uh, yeah, they well, they told me it would, but I oh, didn't okay. know for sure Uh-oh. at the time. I wasn't sure it was going to go away. But I had Donna there, thank goodness. And she was a great help. Well, I mean, you just mentioned Australia. We talked about uh, you traveling all over the territories. You said 100,000 miles. I'm curious because you you mentioned Vince Sr. and some of the people that paid well. Do you have, in all your years of wrestling, do you have a favorite promoter, a favorite place to wrestle when you traveled? I think Vince Sr. was one of my favorite promoters. He was such a nice guy. He really was. Everybody liked him. I don't know Vince Jr. that well. 
I was going to say quite the quite the contrast. Well, his uh, his 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 father's reputation towards women is significantly higher than his own. I'll tell you that. I would think so. I would definitely think so. Well, and Tony, you it seems like you spent more time, like in the you know, especially in your later career, you spent more time in the WWF than you did in the other territories. Right. Well, yeah, we did. A lot of us did back then because he was running a lot of big shows, you know, Boston. And then we got to, we finally got to wrestle in New York, which was illegal when I first started. What was and, that, 70, uh, 72-ish that you could start wrestling in New York? Right. It was somewhere in there, yes. Okay. And uh, we wrestled Madison Square Garden several times and some, you know, the bigger shows. Yeah, the latter years, I wrestled mostly in uh, Vince McMahon's territory. Well, to ex- go ahead, Benny. What was the biggest crowd you wrestled in front of? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I, I really don't know. Either be in Tokyo or Madison Square. I don't know. And so sometimes the Cow Palace had some pretty good crowds. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even You could have had 10 people in the crowd at the Cow Palace, and it would still be the loudest arena you've ever wrestled in. <laughs> yeah. That in the Sportatorium in Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, yeah. my my wife is is from San Antonio, so I mean they, she grew up watching a lot of the the Texas wrestling because you know, and then of course they travel with her dad, and she, the, the, that's all I remember talking with her parents about was how just crazy the crowds and and you could eat, you know it came through the radio, it came through the TV, it sounded like there was a hundred thousand people there, and they're they're in a high school gym. Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, I remember that too. That happened some places. They say that we can always wrestle better when there's a lot of bigger crowd. So I guess maybe that's why they did it. Well, actually, I'm I'm curious. We've had a lot of wrestlers on that have told us some. I mean, in hindsight, they're funny, but at the time, I imagine they're more horror stories of fans that got very handsy with. You know, you, you hear stories about managers and wrestlers getting you know swung on or, or people almost stabbing them i know uh yeah. you know, freddie blassie's broken a few canes jim Cornette's dented a few tennis rackets fighting off fighting off uh fans did did the female heels get the same kind of of heat or was it a different did the crowds react differently to you it, well they probably reacted differently but we did get in some of those situations down around louisiana i remember uh fans coming into the ring and the boys all came oh, out and the lock, uh, helped locker room empty to, to help you. Room. But and those some of those places in Louisiana was really rough. Mm. So I mean, did you ever have an issue with the the male fans? No, not no, not really that much. Uh, some of the women were pretty rough. Some of the women's <laughs> fans were as rough as the men. Uh, they'd try to come in the ring. We can beat you. And uh, they'd try to come in, but the police or somebody always, uh, mostly always grabbed them. But that mm-hmm. night, in, the one night in Homa, Louisiana, I think it was, was when the crowd just, I don't know, remember what we did, but the crowd was coming in the ring and the boys all came out. I- I've heard horror stories about Homa, Louisiana. <laughs> that's, that's what that happened. <laughs> and another time, the boys got into a, 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 
bad situation in the ring, and the fans was coming in. And I forgot who it was, but one of the boys had felt somebody wrapped around his, from behind, was holding him, saying, I got your back, brother, I got your back, brother. And he said, who the heck is this? And the fans are coming at him. And he looks around, it's Diamond Lil. I mean, that could not have been that big of a venue, though, Homo, Louisiana. I mean, how many people? No, but they, they're mean down there. They're rough. You can make those people mad easy. But they, I mean, you you talk about, like, really being emotionally invested in the in, in wrestling. I don't think any fans were any more invested in wrestling than those folks. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Because they wouldn't think twice about jumping in the ring. And you look up, and they're coming in droves at you. They usually drew a pretty good house. It was a small town, but they usually drew a pretty good house. I think they were drinking beer. I think they sold beer there, too. That might have given them a little extra encouragement. Did you dread it, like having to go back there? No, we liked it. I never got hurt, but um, no, we, we kind of enjoyed it. Okay. It got a little scary there at the end, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, anybody that's ever anybody that's ever watched or been been to a show in the at the territory era or watched a territory tape, it's hard to describe to modern fans the <laughs> the way the crowds were. You just don't see that anymore. No, you don't. You do not see that anymore. Uh, it's more controlled today. Yeah. It's back then. Well, I mean, it, it's it's a totally different you know parameter now. Like now, somebody yeah. buys a a ticket to wrestling, they're going to be entertained. Back yeah. then, they they you know they bought a ticket to see somebody get their butt kicked. You know, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or somebody get you know they, they they whatever heel they couldn't stand to get beaten to a bloody pulp. But they and that's what they wanted. That was their payoff. Yep, that's exactly it. But today it's more showmanship than it was yeah. then. Uh, I'm it? not knocking today's wrestling in any way because there's some pretty good matches. Do you watch? Do you watch it much, Tony? Uh, once in a while, I'll watch Raw or SmackDown. Do you have any female wrestlers that you really like watching? The best one I think is Natalia. She seems to get less publicity or less push, let's say, than a lot of them. But as far as wrestling, she's a very good wrestler. Yes. Well, you know, she was trained by. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> now, that Just... was one cheap sucker. Who's too hard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like. Well, uh, I mean, yeah. He had to feed those 12 kids. Come on. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And we supported a lot of them kids back then. <laughs> You you paid for Bret Hart's oatmeal back in the day. I sure did. I, I had no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. That, I mean, how was it? Rest, I mean, it, did you ever wrestle there in the winter? And how bad oh, was yes. Yes. Oh, God. It was cold. <laughs> it was very cold. I, I mean, I lived, was sometimes freeze to the ground. <laughs> that had to be get the keys in the keyhole and open your car. You know? It was cold. But, but that was one of those territories where, like, nothing was close to the, you know, to anything else. Like, you wrestle in Calgary. miles and, away. Just about. Yeah, and you're wrestling, you know, you got to drive when it's 88 below zero with oh, you know, 27 people in a Volkswagen to get oh, to your Oh, my God. Yeah, right. That was, right. 
Well, not exactly, but pretty close. Yeah, embellishing a little bit, but not too much. <laughs> You, you know, you, you always got to put it in perspective. You you hear some of the stories. Uh, I'm trying to remember when he said it was, but you know, uh, Bret Hart was telling you know, tells a story about traveling back and forth, and he said it was you know 20 below. I mean, 20. You realize 20 below is 52 degrees below freezing when you're talking uh-huh. about you know that it, when they say it gets cold in Calgary, it, it's cold. It's put cold. That, put that in perspective. But, um, oh. No, okay. I, I go ahead. No, I was going to say I, I thought it was interesting you mentioned to give Natalia credit. She just made headlines recently for I think it was five or six different uh, Guinness World Records were presented to her for. Oh really? The uh, yeah, that was the was it the most matches, the most wins, the most pay per view appearances, all for female wrestlers. Uh, you know, something like she, she's wrestled. I think it was fifteen over fifteen hundred matches for the WWE. So you consider how long they've had a women's division. I mean, she's pretty much every record they have, she's she's set, and Guinness recognized it. So I mean, you, a- she, go ahead. No, I was saying she might not get the. Uh, the, the recognition that some of the modern talent does, but you don't, you're not tenured as long as she is without being able to bring it every day. Oh no, she's an excellent wrestler. She is very good. I wish she would have gotten the push that some of the others did, but I'm glad she got the awards. Yeah, she, she definitely knows what she's doing in the ring for sure. Oh yes, she knows what she's doing, mm-hmm. that's for sure. That is for sure. They were probably taught in the dungeon. Yeah. Well, so, you look at the 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 talent uh, of all the senior talent, and I, and I I used I don't mean that as a criticism. The 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 longest tenured talent today with Natalia and Chris Jericho, uh, Lance Storm still very much involved, not active but still very much involved. Most of the older talent is is all dungeon graduates like something about the dungeon not just bred talent but longevity oh yeah yeah chris jericho he's a very good worker very good he's been around a long time and he was he was in the dungeon uh i don't know who all was taught there but obviously they did a very good job superstar billy graham was taught there oh mm-hmm. really i did not That's, know that yeah i didn't know that yeah you know, it seems like the people that worked in the that, that were trained in the dungeon, they're no, not only did they have long careers, but they were relatively injury free. Like I don't think Jericho has ever been hurt, or if he has it, it hasn't been for too long. Yeah, I think Stu was a very good instructor. He was probably very <laughs> well. Nobody, good. nobody could hurt you worse than Stu. Like after uh, Stu, <laughs> it was, it was, I was easy about to say that. his. His students probably have a lot of words to describe his instructions. Good is probably not going to be the first one that comes uh, out. Yeah, I would think so. I would yeah, think probably, so. His reputation is probably less than Moolah's. Probably some variation of ow and several curse words, I would imagine. I would think so. <laughs> I would think so. But I, I want to circle back, Tony. We were talking about your, your territories and favorite places to wrestle. Uh, while we're on the topic of women's wrestling, you wrestled uh, a who's who of 
of, of women's talent in the 60s and 70s. I mean, we obviously talked about Mula. You, you wrestled uh, beside Donna Christianello. You know, you wrestled Penny uh, Penny Banner, Vivian Vachon, Betty Beauchure, uh Judy Grable, you, and, and so, uh, so many others. Do you have a, a favorite uh, opponent or was there and and the flip side of that, was there someone you you kind of raised an eyebrow and, and didn't really care to get in the ring against? Well, there's a few of those, but I won't mention their names. But I, the girls you mentioned, I enjoyed working with Moolah. I enjoyed working with Penny Banner, Betty Boucher. Uh, I enjoyed working with Donna, uh, Joyce Grable, Judy Grable. Oh, Judy Grable, I loved working with her back in the 60s. So, yeah, there was a lot of good girls back then. You and, uh, obviously, you know, Benny mentioned it in your introduction, your multi-time NWA Women's Tag Team Champion. You and, and Donna Cristatello were were partners. How did that partnership come about? Mula held a tournament in her gym. See, Mula and I had the belt to start with. And Mula decided she didn't want to wrestle tag team because she didn't want to share her... In her book, I'm quoting her book, she didn't want to share the glory with anyone, so she didn't want to work tag team. So she held a tournament, and there was tons of girls. And Donna and I won. And that was it. That's how we first got the belts. So, Tony, I, I, I told you before we, we actually got on air that, you know, I started watching in 1968 Capital Wrestling. I actually, uh, uh, when I was 12, for uh, 1967, Christmas 1967, I got a 12-inch Hitachi black and white TV set, and I brought it up to my room. And so I grew up on Long Island, Farmingdale, Long Island, and if I put, like, aluminum foil on my, my antenna, you know, if I stood on my head and clicked my heels three times, I could actually get Channel 47 from, uh, from Newark, New Jersey, which oh on Saturday night at 630 uh, carried Capital Wrestling, uh, you know, from the National Arena in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. And you were the you and Donna Christiantello, who I called Donna Christiantello for the last 55 years until you corrected <laughs> me. But um, you and Donna Christiantello you literally dominated the the uh, East Coast, you know, the, the New York uh, women's tag team scene, and you actually did capture the NWA uh, women's tag team championship on several occasions. So I have to confess, as a 13 year old kid, I didn't like you guys. But that, all that's, <laughs> I must have been doing my job pretty good. Yeah, that's I was saying. Like you guys, you really did your job. And and so talk about Donna. I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, I think every time I ever saw her wrestle was with you as, as a partner. Um, but she, I mean, both of you guys really, you blended. You were a phenomenal team. So that had a, you know, you, there, there had to be a great chemistry there. There was. We kind of knew what each other was thinking. We had worked together so long. And I really enjoyed, I worked against her for, for several years when I first started, or when she first started. But then we became tag team partners and best friends. And, uh, yeah, we knew what each other was thinking, basically. Did, did that friendship extend, like, beyond wrestling, you know, and, and yeah. post, you know, post-wrestling? Yes, it did. Yes, I, I spoke with her about a week before she passed. Uh, I hadn't been hearing from her, and I would call her, and she 
she sounded like she was kind of ill, but she said, I'm getting better, I'm better, I'm getting better. And um, then she called me and said, I feel a lot better. And we talked for quite a while, and then a couple of days or a week or so later, she passed. Oh, wow. Mm. Um, now, she was, I believe, from the Pittsburgh area? She was from Pittsburgh, yes. Did Did Bruno get her into wrestling, or did, you know, how did she get in? Uh, I don't think Bruno did. I don't know who recommended her to Moolah, but uh, I was on the road, and when I came back, she was there training. Um, I don't know. I don't know who recommended her. I, I can't. I don't remember. But uh, she trained at Moolah, that's for sure. And uh, she wrestled us. She was a baby face at first, like we all were. And, uh, but yeah, she was a very good, she turned out to be a very good worker. I did notice though at the beginning, cause you know, I did, did the research and I was going through wrestlingdata.com and cagematch.net. And it seems like before you guys team, like you said, you guys did face each other many times. Many times. Yes, we did. Yeah. Was, it, was did. it fun? Was it fun working against her? Yes, it was. I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. Now, at that time, was she she was the baby face or she was the heel? Oh, she was the baby face. Okay. All right. At that time. So, now, did you have a preference, working baby face or heel? Oh, yes, I did. I, the heel was the best. <laughs> and why do, you, why do you say that? Oh, you have more fun. Big, you know, it was fun aggravating the people and all that. <laughs> Getting the, I enjoyed uh, the, that. Getting the reactions we were talking about earlier, huh? Right, that's right, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed being a heel. Donna did, too, later. She was, she was a very good heel. Yeah, she was. So, I mean, when, you, when you're, you know, you're at a house show or whatever and, and you see these people, like, screaming bloody murder, you know, that has to kind of make you smile on the inside. It's like, damn, I'm doing my job. Yes, it does. Yes, I always enjoy that. If they're not, if they're not booing me or yelling at me, I thought, oh Lord, I'm not you're doing getting, this. You're getting the heat. You're doing you your job. Do something. <laughs> they pull some hair, bite somebody, do something. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. Well, yeah. as traveling, I'm curious. Traveling as much as you did, did you ever have? The the we we've talked about it on the show many times. There seems to be very few people on Earth with better memories than a wrestling fan. Did you ever have? <laughs> did you ever have to travel somewhere? And hey, you know this is that same lady. I was I was ready to jump the guardrail and beat up and boob my head off six months ago, and now she's here being the good guy. Like, did you ever have the that kind of reaction? Yes, sometimes. Yep, they'd come up and tell you right quick. <laughs> they had no qualms about saying, hey, why are you doing this today? You know, seen you a few weeks ago, and you were really good. And now, you're being a healer, I don't think they used that word, but that's what they meant. Uh, that, uh, heal, heal wasn't a word in the 60s. I think they used the word, like, well, I know that for, you know, it was, it was either a villain or a, and then the, the baby faces were called scientific wrestlers. Okay. Now that was before my time, I think. Because I, I don't remember that. I remember babyface and heel. Yeah, baby. The term babyface, I think, was more like that came about like probably 
in the eighties. I think in it was either a scientific wrestler or a villain. I know, like oh, okay. listening listening to Bruno in a lot of Bruno's interviews, he because Bruno was kayfabe right to the end. Oh, and okay. He, and he would use the term villain, but oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So Tony, um, as far as the magazines went, did, like were you guys did were you guys interviewed for the magazines? Did oh, you yeah. Were the magazines? Yeah, Wrestling Review. I remember Wrestling Illustrated. I can't remember all of them. Yes, we were. We were in a lot of them. I I tell you what, like you guys, you consumed ninety nine percent of my discretionary income as <laughs> as a teenager. <laughs> And then I had money. I went to the the local. uh, It was a stationery store, and uh, the the uh, the guy behind the counter was called Three Fingered Nat because he literally had had three fingers. And uh, so if you climbed up to uh, try to find the Playboy magazines, which you know, of course, thirteen year old boy, you know, you're curious, and he would. (laughs) He would eject you with those three fingers, but oh my gosh! <laughs> most of the time, I I went because I knew exactly where the wrestling magazines were, and I you know I would walk home from school and go to the luncheonette and specifically go there to see if a new issue came out. And the minute it came out, that that I, I had to have it. So yeah, you guys made <laughs> you guys made me poor as a teenager. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we've written a lot of a lot of the magazines. Uh, sometimes they, it's what they wrote was true. Sometimes it wasn't. Yeah, Mike Mike Mooneyham was talking about that. Like he wrestled, he 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 wrote. And at some point, uh, they you know he was a, a journalist, a true journalist. Oh yeah. But it kind of yeah. went from from journalism to uh, it was kind of almost science fiction after that. And then you know he didn't write for them anymore. Yeah, yeah. He he retired from the Post and Courier newspaper in Charleston. Great writer and a great, great wrestling, you know, unbelievable. He's a good historian, too. He knows a Absolutely. lot. Yeah, and a good guy, too. Yes, he is. He's a very nice guy. He's not that far away from you, is he? No, about 100 miles. Okay. That's what he I did three articles on me for the newspaper just within the last month. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Nice. He did mention that he's still very active in writing about wrestling, so that's cool. Yeah, he's still writing about it. Yep, I don't know how often that he does that, but uh, yeah, he's still writing about wrestling. I'm, I'm curious. Benny mentioned when he was talking about Bruno, he said he was kayfabe to the end. That's a that was a big deal in the '60s and '70s, and we've had a lot of funny stories about. Uh, gr- avoiding certain restaurants and grocery stores and having to sneak out the back. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. there was, there was the recent um, dark side of the ring episode on, on Magnum TA where they, they talked about the police had to arrange for Ric Flair and, and, and Arn Anderson to be snuck in through the back at midnight so that no one would know that the heels were coming to visit the baby face in the hospital. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, was that was it harder, easier, the same trying to keep kayfabe as female it, talent? It was or? hard trying to keep kayfabe, especially if you rode together and came to the arena. You had a hard time getting in, so nobody would see you with your opponent. So kayfabe was kind of hard. I mean, what if you went to a, a diner to get something to eat? Did you have oh, to sit? We'd never sit together, never. You, you couldn't, right? You had to. Okay. Oh no, no. You some you sit as far away as possible. Okay. 
Tony, in 2018, if I have the date right, you were inducted into the uh, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. So how does it feel knowing that your fans, as well as your peers, uh, view you as actually one of the best ever? Well, it, it's fantastic because I didn't think anybody remembered me at all. And it was I was shocked. And it was, it was wonderful. I really enjoyed that. But... Uh, that yeah, well, it was 2018. I think it was May of 2018. Okay. But, uh, it was quite an honor. I appreciate it. Now, did you actually go to the induction? Yes, I did. Wichita okay. Falls. That's when it was in Wichita Falls, Texas. Right. Who else was there when you were there? Just out of curiosity. Uh, Susan Green was there. Tex was there. Okay. Um, let's see. Tiger Conway. Okay. Uh. Oh, my gosh. I can't even remember who I was there. Furpo. What's his name? Pampero Furpo? He was inducted the same time I was. Oh, was he? Okay. So we had Mary Freeze, who is his daughter, as yeah. our guest a couple of months ago. And what a fascinating guy Pampero Furpo was. Yeah. She was at the induction. She and uh, the son was both uh, there. Okay. And they were very yeah, nice see, people. Did, now, did Pampero bring uh, Chimu, his shrunken head? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't okay. remember seeing that. But he left Chimu at home. <laughs> yeah, he must have, because oh, I don't man. remember seeing that. Chimu had him feel slighted when he did. Yeah, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> they flew in with him from California. I think he was living in California. I'm going to tell you, Tony, nobody's going to forget you. Like you said, Mike, Mike Rett wrote three articles about you recently. And you know, here you are with us. And, you know, that's that's what we do. I mean, you, you, at least, you know, Dan's a little bit younger than I am. But I mean, you know, I watched I grew up watching you. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I'm only 31 and you're like, what, 30, 32, 33? So. <laughs> 32, 33. Yeah, yeah I don't know how the math works. I'm not really good at numbers, you know. I just, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> But no, we're, you're you're never going to be forgotten. No, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, but Benny, I, it I wanna, was quite an honor to be uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. I want you to listen to, to this. I got curious. Listen to this company, at, at Tony. Um, the 2018 Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame class. Obviously, Tony Rose, uh, Fred Bell. Ralph Sil Ralph Ruffy Silverstein, Eddie right. Graham, Ernie Ladd, wow. Sting, ha Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Red Bastine, Billy Red Lions, Pampiro Furpo, who you mentioned, Hiro Matsuda, Wow, jo Joe Higuchi, and Red Bastine. That was the 2018 class. So wow. when 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 they when Benny said that that you're to get in with that group, you're considered one of the best of all time. I, I truly hope you understand how revered, you know, when you're, when you look at some of those names. That's very good company. Very good company to keep. There's some big names. Well, definitely well-deserved. Tony, so if you say, you know, it's 2023 now, if, if somebody invented a time machine, and you could go back in that time machine, but retain like you know all your memories and all your knowledge, and go back to 1963. Would you have still gone into professional wrestling? Yes, I would. Do, I still would. 
Why would you say? Why do you say that? Just out of curiosity. Because it was a very interesting time. Had a lot of fun wrestling. I loved wrestling. Still do. Uh, that's why. It, it was something different, but it was enjoyable for me. Now, and I met a lot of great people. A lot I, of great people. I personally think that, like for me, that was the the best time ever uh, to be a wrestling fan. Do you feel like that was the best time to be a professional wrestler? I think so. It's 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 different. It's just a totally different thing today. It's totally different. Not bad today, but it, like I said earlier, there's more showmanship today, and less wrestling holds and things like that. Right. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I go ahead, Benny. No, I was going to say. You know, and this is just my opinion, but I would have to think just by virtue of the fact of how you you had to travel, you know, travel the roads with everybody that you formed a lot, you know, uh, deeper bonds than you would nowadays. Because, you know, it seems like everybody's going to they're going their their own way. You know, they're going to fly to the next town, fly home, you know, but you guys were in the car for seven, eight hours at a time. You You probably spent more time with your your, you know, your wrestling buddies than you did with your own family. So you, oh, that's true. They, Very they true. became family. Yes, they did. And a lot of them still are. Diamond Lil, I talk to every day. Susan Green, I talk to every day. Is uh, Diamond Lil still around? I'm sorry? Diamond Lil is still around? Yes. Oh, yes, wow. All right. I didn't know that. Yes, she's still around. Wow. In fact, she's beeped in twice while we've been talking. Tell her Dan and Benny said hello. I will. I'll and tell we her. did. We did mention her too. Yes. Yes, I will tell her. And you. And so, going back to what I the, the research, it seemed like there was a lot of matches where you would wrestle with. Was it you and Lil against some yes. another woman wrestler in Dagmar? Dad and, then, and another girl, big girl, as we call right. them. Yeah. And then you also did a lot of mixed matches with you you and a male partner against yes. a woman and a male partner, which, I mean, I, I thought that was just a recent thing, but that goes back, oh, no. back to your time. Oh, yes. We did that a lot back then. Okay. Yeah. And that was always fun, too. It was different. <laughs> now, who did you wrestle with on the, on the male side? Like, who were your partners? Louis Tillet, I remember. Uh, oh, gosh, I can't. It's been a long time. I can't remember them all. Or I can't remember many of them, actually. But I do remember working with Louis Tillet. Okay. Uh, so it was mostly a Southern thing, I think. Louis mm-hmm. Tillet, wasn't he the promoter in Georgia for a while after that? I think so. I think after that. Okay. And I worked with Tom Renesto, who was... Uh, one of the mask assassins. Ah, uh, oh yeah, that brings back that brings yeah. back. Yeah, and Jody Hamilton. Oh, oh, yeah. Now you're talking legend. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Jody passed away not too long ago. Yeah, Jody passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Tom did too earlier. I, I believe. I believe so. But that was it. Was always fun. We had a good time wrestling. Well, you, you've established, you know, Benny's t- hypothetical time machine. You go back in time. You tell your younger self to still, you'd still be a wrestler. Would you have done anything differently? I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, as we, 
as we wrap up here, thank you so much for your time. It's it's 2023. Do you have uh, you you mentioned being interviewed a few times uh, coming up? Obviously, stories to be published. Do you have what is the what does the future hold for 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 you, Tony? Well, right now I've I've retired, of course, and uh, I do a lot of work with the church and with some charities. And other than that, I just relax and. I've got my animals, and uh, <laughs> and they're cats, not dogs. <laughs> and uh, that's about it. Well, these, these dogs are big Tony Rose fans. So. Oh well, good. I'm so glad. Tony, are, are you? So you're in? Are you in North Carolina? No, I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. You're, okay, you're in South. So oh, wow. how, how close are you to uh, Shawsville, Virginia, which is uh, Jimmy Vangett's wrestling camp? Are you- <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how far. You got to look it up because uh, you'd be like more than welcome there. Where they, you know, they're there every Sunday, and um, I'm I'm the commissioner. Ben, of, Benny's of, got an in with them. Yeah, I'm, oh, the, okay. I'm the Boogie's Wrestling Camp BWC commissioner. So, um, uh-huh. and, and Jimmy's Jimmy's going to be celebrating his uh, 81st birthday in about three weeks. Okay. Yeah, so you're you would be like a more than welcome guest and we'd make sure we gave you a, a really nice introduction there if you ever if you ever came. Oh well thank you. You'd be more than welcome. Absolutely. Well, Tony, before we let you go for the night, again, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any uh any final thoughts, any parting words, and what advice would you give any of our female listeners that want to get into wrestling? Oh, train well, learn the sport, learn the wrestling holds, uh, don't do stupid things and get hurt. That's about it. Benny, final thoughts to you? Uh, well, I wish Tony was a friend of mine many years ago because you just said, don't do stupid things. <laughs> and I, I needed that advice since high school graduation. Okay. I see a lot of people doing things that could injure them for life. And very true. That's not very smart. Now, one of the uh, one of the big the big two, uh, AEW just pub- uh, released their list of new rules to to combat dangerous spots. So hopefully, some modern uh, people are cracking down on that idea too. Oh, I hope so. I hope so, because it really is not worth getting injured for. Nothing is. I I hope they do, because I've seen them do some things that I just close my eyes. I can't watch. Right. I mean, and there's, I mean, it wasn't as as obviously not really prevalent at all back back in the '60s and '70s, but you see a lot of spots with with weapons and, or excuse me, oh. foreign objects. Um, you know, and and just dives and flips and dangerous things that it's you, you watch it and it's like how I, I can't fathom how they visualized that going that ended in any other way besides someone being injured. I know. I see that often when I watch Raw and SmackDown. Mm, crazy. And it, it's, it's just not worth it. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Uh, Benny, another great ladies night. Well, uh, in the books. And, and as you mentioned at Top of the hour, we've got next week, we've got a special on gimmicks. So uh, for Tony Rose, 
for the uh, legend himself, the Long Island Iced Bee, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spashon. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Good night, folks. <laughs>